electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Thanks, Scott. Here's what's ahead. The rally continues to fade with tech leading the declines. NASDAQ's down 2%. So should you bail on the growth trade or stick with it? Two big banks out with two very different views on what's next. We will debate and ask our market strategist how he's positioning now. Plus, the latest meme stock moves, banking a billion from the crypto craze, and will dragons or hobbits win the streaming wars? We will have the story and the stock impact on today's biggest talkers. And Palo Alto, Macy's, and Zoom video on deck with results after the bell. We're going to get you set up for all three in earnings exchange, but we begin with the markets and Dom Chu with the numbers. Please, Dom. no spoilers, because I have not watched the first episode of House of Dragons yet. Uh, I'm just keeping a close eye on it. But anyway, to John's point, uh, this is tilting towards the lower end of the range today. It's been a decidedly down day for pretty much all of it so far. We're down 505 points for the Dow Industrials, 33,200 the last trade there. 4156 for the S&P 500, down 72 points, roughly one and three quarters percent declines there. And the real underperformer has been the composite index for the NASDAQ, 12,441, down 264 points, 2% plus downside there. And a lot of this has to do with some of the fears, concerns about interest rates, what's going to happen from the Fed with its commentary at Jackson Hole later on this week. All of that weighing on the government bond market, specifically for U.S. Treasuries, where prices have fallen in the 10-year benchmark note to a point where the yield is now back above 3%. You can see there 3.03, the last trade there. And that solid kind of move higher, shorter to medium term that we've seen over those yields. Remember, about three and a half plus was where we saw the peak in the cycle high so far. So keep an eye on that 10-year note yield that's driving a lot of the tech valuation story there. And speaking of those tech valuations, these stocks are the ones that are having the most adverse impact on the markets overall, and specifically for the NASDAQ composite. Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Tesla, NVIDIA, those names are not unfamiliar to our audience and our listeners out there because they're the most heavily weighted or amongst the most heavily weighted in these market cap weighted indices like the S&P and the NASDAQ. But John, to that end, Microsoft down 2.5%, Apple down 1.5%, 3% for Amazon, Tesla down 2%, 3.5% for NVIDIA. These five stocks account for more than one-third of the daily losses so far today in the NASDAQ. So keep an eye on those names. I'll send things back over to you. All right, Tom, I'll do that. Thanks. The NASDAQ getting crushed today, but still up about 15% from the June lows. Two of America's biggest banks have very different takes on where the tech rally goes next, though. J.P. Morgan says there's room to run, perhaps through the end of the year, while UBS today says you should take the opportunity to trim excess exposure before the next downturn. So, who's right? Joining us now, David Bonson, the chief investment officer of the Bonson Group. David, welcome. Um, <laughs> I, I've been off for about 12 days, and things are roughly where they were uh, the day before I left. So, I mean, I know there's been a lot of action since then, but what's the sense to make of this market? What should you do? 
Well, hopefully have a longer timeline than 12 days. That would that would help because you're right. Things are going to move around quite a bit. And over 12 days and sometimes over 12 weeks, we can expect what is effectively a flat line, even if there's a lot of volatility in between. Uh, you mentioned the Nasdaq being up 15 percent from its lows. And yet we know the math of it is how far down it still is from its highs. Uh, that a 15 percent recovery, if you were down 30, doesn't get you back half, not even <laughs> close. And that's kind of what uh, people are dealing with. It's the danger of being overly invested in excessively valued things is the recovery can be very, very difficult. It's tempting to look at where we were with the June lows and think that that was a bottom. Was it or is this a situation I mean, for a long time people were saying don't fight the Fed, don't fight the Fed. But now aren't we fighting the Fed in the markets right now? No, I don't think that we are, because what people that uh, believe, as I do, that the Fed is going to capitulate, they're not fighting against what the Fed's doing. They're fighting against what the Fed is saying. They have a different opinion as to what the Fed will be saying in January or in March or whatever point at which the Fed breaks something, which hasn't happened yet. Uh, why would somebody think that? Why would someone not believe the Fed is credible here, that they're going to keep going and act like this Volcker-like hawkish machine for months and quarters to come? Because they haven't done it in 40 years. That's why no one believes it. Because of Greenspan and Bernanke and Yellen and Powell, there's a lot of history here that suggest once something breaks. Quantitative tightening has only been $47 billion a month. They're doubling that next month to $95 billion. Credit spreads have definitely widened, but they haven't broken yet. The credit markets are still functioning. I think people rightly believe that there's some point, I happen to think it'll be around 3.5%, at which point the Fed at least pauses. Maybe it doesn't start cutting right away, but starts to pause. I why? hope that the Fed... Why is the Fed going to pause there, and what does breaking mean to you in this market, in this context? Let me start with why, pa why pausing. Because the Fed knows what they can't say that they have very little control over where inflation goes, that the bulk of this inflation has been supply side oriented, supply oh. chain disruptions, massive demand resurgence out of a reopening from the COVID lockdowns, most importantly on the energy side, a total lack of preparation for needed U.S. production. The Fed can't control that. A Fed funds rate of 5% or 1% has nothing to do with getting more oil fields producing in Oklahoma. And so the Fed is limited, but they can't say it. They have to talk hawkishly, which I understand. But the market believes that the Fed at some point is not going to tolerate a real severe recession, growing unemployment, which just hasn't happened yet. So, so far, they're getting away with it. What do I mean by breaking something? Well, first, I guess if the unemployment rate were to shoot up above 5%, that's probably one element that would become more politically intolerable than inflation. But I think it's in financial markets. I just don't think the Fed is going to tolerate a freeze up of credit. I've never seen it. Uh, no one listening to this show has ever seen it. That when credit markets totally freeze up, the Fed says, nope, let's just keep on tightening. Uh, 2018 may have been extreme when Powell capitulated at pretty minuscule levels of credit tightening hmm. relative to what could happen. But that's what I'm basing my precedent on. So uh, when do we see the cards? When do, when do we get the river in this game? Is it January, you think, when, when we're able to tell, uh, are you reading the Fed and what they're going to do better than uh, what they're actually saying? 
Yeah, I think it, uh, in 2019, it was either January 3rd or January 5th. I can't remember, but it was that first week of January when all of a sudden all of that fear people had in the fourth quarter of 2018. Um, I remember having a dinner with Ben Bernanke where the talk was whether or not they were going to hike. Of course, he wasn't Fed chair anymore, but there was a conversation of are they going to hike four or five times more? And like two weeks later, they started cutting. I mean, that's kind of how severe that reversal was. That's not going to happen. I think what you'll see in the first quarter of next year is a pause. Hmm. And so you got 100 basis points to go, whether it's 50, 25, and 25 in the next three meetings, or 50 and 50. I don't, I don't much care about the composition. They get another 100. Uh, and then at about 350, that's where I think they pause, and we okay. start seeing the river, as you say, in Q1. <laughs> so about four months and a couple weeks on the clock then, how should investors position between now and then? Well, regardless of what the Fed is exactly doing for the next four months and into 23, I very much believe that the growth story is still overpriced, that the um, valuations on an absolute basis did, never got attractive and on a relative basis certainly didn't. So I still would favor valuation and quality right now. This is just too easy of an escape for the expensive growth side of the market and NASDAQ-oriented things. Uh, we, of course, are dividend growth investors at my firm, and so we really favor where you happen to not only have attractive valuation, but free cash flow. Mm -hmm. And so the free cash flow growth story speaks to higher quality, often speaks to lower valuation. That's the case right now in a lot of great names. And by the way, it's performed a lot better. The last segment, there's a lot of guys talking about the energy story. We love it. We totally believe dividend growing energy is a great place to be. All right. uh, and by the way, if inflation is not coming down on the energy side, it does well. If inflation does come down on the energy side, it should still do well, those midstream pipeline operators. Okay. David Bonson, thank you. Thanks so much. One place in tech where we are seeing strength today is Chinese internet names as the country's central bank continues to pull out all the stops to fire up that economy. But more economic trouble could be ahead as the country deals with factory shutdowns. Eunice Yoon is live in Beijing early in the morning, breaking down all the headlines. Eunice. Thanks so much, John. Well, China has trimmed its benchmark lending rates after surprising the market last week by cutting two key policy rates by 10 basis points. So today, the one-year loan prime rate, which is a reference for new loans, was cut by five basis points. And the five-year LPR, which is used to price mortgages, was reduced by a bigger-than-expected margin of 15 basis points. Now, these moves suggest that policymakers are looking to keep the borrowing costs relatively steady, but at the same time targeting the struggling property sector. In fact, the central bank had a meeting today where they called on the financial institutions, especially those that are state run, to stabilize credit growth, particularly for small and medium sized businesses, as well as for science and technology. Now, it also said that financial institutions should ensure reasonable, it said, financing, financing for real estate developers, there, there were no details given as to exactly what that means and whether or not these efforts would really convince homeowners or potential homeowners to actually put down money and buy a home, especially with so many unfinished projects around the country and also people just generally feeling nervous about the economy. Now, separate to that, China's Southwest, which has been hit by droughts, is uh, now saying that they're going to extend 
power rationing until Thursday. That part of the country is very heavily reliant on hydropower and has seen its riverbeds dry up under temperatures as high as 113 degrees, John. Uh, Eunice, is this going to work in boosting the economy? And uh, this makes me think of a, a video I saw online a few days ago of an official, I think, in Hunan province encouraging people to buy multiple homes. Does all of this fit together in, in the policy that, that's, oh, that's being right. encouraged here? Um, I mean, the, the government is doing everything I, that it can. Uh, I mean, as you said, it's uh, pulling out the stops, not getting to the point where they're really pumping a lot of stimulus into the market because they are oh, very aware of the dangers. But the expectation is that there will be some more moves to try to uh, to stabilize the property sector. But just as as you were talking about, I mean, there's a lot of questions about this because people are feeling kind of poor about the, you know, if about when uh, they have like most of their life savings wrapped up in a mortgage or in a real estate um, in a, an apartment. And now they're seeing the price of that falling apart. And then uh, there aren't a lot of reasons to spend. I mean, even for this power cut, uh, there are hundreds of malls in that part of uh, China that were instructed to cut their shopping hours. And then you throw on top of that the COVID lockdowns, which has really been discouraging people from going out and traveling. It just makes it really hard to see where all of that growth is going to be coming from. Well, uh, economic policy challenging around the world. Eunice Yoon, thank you. Now coming up, this year's back-to-school season could see deeper discounts than in years past as inventories build. What brands have the balance sheets to withstand the price cuts? we got the back-to-school playbook next. Plus, Macy, Zoom, and Palo Alto Networks are set to report results. We have the narratives, the trades, ahead on Earnings Exchange. We're back after this. This is... The Exchange on CNBC. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. to the exchange while well, summer's fading it's that time of year again kids are heading back to school or already there this year consumers on the hunt for deals with rising prices and cowan is out with a list of stocks that could benefit also with stand discounting oliver chen is senior retail analyst and managing director at cowan uh joins us now oliver um so how does this work back to school i think of clothes i think of supplies when, when your kids get older maybe you even got some furniture mixed in um but what doesn't get bought 
in an inflationary environment or do people just trade down and buy cheaper? Well, what's happening is that trade down is happening. Consumers are looking for values. We're calling it back to school, back to discounts. And what Walmart and Target are doing is very effective in terms of offering many items below a dollar, $100 laptops with inflation being a big problem with the consumer. Retailers are prepared for this. Many more markdowns and more inventory than retail really wants. So we're cautiously, cautiously optimistic. We're forecasting a back to school of a doubt about down 1%. The street's looking for down 0.5%. So we continue to watch the environment. Our top ideas here are Target and Ulta. Okay, so what does down 1% mean? Because I, I take it you're talking down 1% in revenue, but people are having to pay more, right, for, for uh, the same amount of stuff. So it seems like either they're buying less stuff or they're choosing not to buy certain things, even if they are trading down. That's right. There are definite share shifts and there's inflation happening with gas and food and energy, and that's impacting the wallet. Uh, the back to school spending, though, will still be relatively flattish because people still need clothes. And this is a back to school like no other in terms of really going back to school and back to work. Uh, so cautiously optimistic of the overall season, but inflation has been running at double digit levels and the consumer is facing many cross currents. We have low unemployment at 3.5% and savings rates at about 5.1%. However, inflation is a big problem as well as consumer confidence is trending negatively as well. Okay, so you're saying to go low and to go high, meaning luxury as well as low cost, but I also wanna talk uh, beauty, you, you like Ulta Beauty as well. I guess if people are like going back out to school, they gotta look good, at least at a certain age. Yeah, that's been very true. Cosmetics has had great recession resistance. Going out again, taking care of your skin, taking care of your face. Uh, these are items that are essential for many people. And Ulta is a premier way to play it, given that it plays across cosmetics, skincare. It also offers mass and prestige. We've seen consumers at the middle and higher income trade down, trade down into Walmart and trade into lower price points. So Ulta offering all of this is quite powerful. And overall, we're more cautious on apparel. We're more positive on categories outside of apparel, such as cosmetics and handbags. And you're right, luxury goods is also still working. Ironically, luxury goods is getting great pricing leverage as well. Now is back to school and how it ends up performing a tell for holiday in Q4 at all, or is there just too much uh, economic data and too much to happen in between now and then? For sure, John. Historically, it correlates quite closely back to school and holidays. So it's something we'll watch in terms of how the consumer is spending. And also retailers are working very hard to clear through inventory. Inventories are about 20 percentage points higher than many retailers would like them to be. So watching the consumer, the trends, the volatility, it's really important. And back to school will be a good a bellwether for how holiday trends as well. Right now we're seeing pretty volatile trends in terms of store traffic. A July that was a little bit weaker than June. However, the end of July was quite strong too. So many things happening. All right, well, we'll see how these retailers and these consumers do in the preseason. We can call it the preseason ahead of the holiday. Oliver Chen, thank you. Great being here with you. Still ahead, we will break down the top stories in tech and media today, including a look at the crypto rally's impact on FTX's bottom line and the newly minted Ape AMC shares. 
Plus, shares of Signify Health are surging on reports that Amazon is joining the bidding war for the home health services provider. The details and what it could mean for Amazon's health push are next. And a look at the Dow heat map right now. Session lows on both the Dow and NASDAQ right across the board. The exchange is back after this. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to The Exchange. Markets right now close to session lows. They're on the Dow, down about 545 points. Oil prices pairing their losses after the Saudi energy minister suggested OPEC Plus could decide to cut production to deal with volatility in the oil market. WTI crude hovering around 90 bucks a barrel right now. Ford laying off about 3,000 workers, mostly in North America. The company said that it's aiming to cut $3 billion in structural costs by 2026. And cloud and enterprise names among the biggest laggards today. Asana and Coupa Software down about 8%. And the semiconductor ETF, uh, SMH, down about 3% with every name lower. Intel falling to its lowest level in more than five years. Coming up, Palo Alto, Macy's, and Zoom are all lower since January. What's driving the declines for each? We'll have the action, the story, and the trade up next on Earnings Exchange. Welcome back, everyone. It is time for Earnings Exchange, and today we've got the action, the story, and the trade on Palo Alto Network's Zoom and Macy's. First up, Palo Alto, the cybersecurity firm, off nearly 2% ahead of earnings today. Cybersecurity has been front and center with the ongoing war in Ukraine, but names across the space have been struggling this year. Will Palo Alto be able to come out on top this quarter? Our own Frank Holland has the story, and Boris Schlossberg joins us with the trade. He's managing director of FX strategy at BK Asset Management and a CNBC contributor. Frank, what are we looking at? Well, John, you know, uh, Palo Alto Networks has has had a bit of a choppy August since a big upgrade from Wolf Research on August the 1st and another upgrade along the way. But generally, the sentiment for this stock is very positive. All buys are overweights from analysts, no sells at all. And in general, the street's expecting some big increases when it comes to both revenue and profit. Um, The metric that analysts will be closely watching is next generation security AAR. This is the growth or decline of customer spend in these newer products, including Palo Alto Network's next generation firewall. Guidance will also be key, according to Wells Fargo, as management really tries to balance the uncertain macro environment with the growing momentum for cybersecurity as workloads move to the the cloud. You mentioned the Russia-Ukraine war. Also, just that transition to the cloud, another tailwind for this company. Boris, uh, the, the sort of bookings and backlog watch are relevant here to Palo Alto as well? Yeah, I think Palo Alto is just basically getting a tremendous amount of tailwind from two very strong secular trends, which is the work from home 
trend, which I think is going to be permanent in, in many, many ways, or at least certainly far, far greater than it was before COVID. And secondly, as uh, the reporter mentioned, the uh, the war, the geopolitical tensions, which means that there's always possibility now of state actors acting to sabotage corporate assets. So for all those reasons, Palo Alto really looks to me like a very, very attractive buy on an 18 to 24 month basis. Now, it is very expensive. But I think this one thing we learned from stocks in the 1990s, from Microsoft 1990s, is that a technology company that's expensive but constantly beats expectations, which is what Palo Alto has been doing consistently, is a tremendously strong buy. So unless they trip up, I think this is going to be a very interesting uh, trade going forward. Those who are a little bit cautious could try to sell the 500 puts. It's a 3.5% yield in five days because of the volatility into the earnings. But overall, to me, this is a long-term buy purely on secular uh, trend basis. So, Frank, if there are going to be uh, surprises here, are, are they in the guide and the backlog? I mean, I, I'm just wondering, the expectations seem kind of high. Well, you know, the expectations are absolutely high. You mentioned that this stock has a, a high valuation. It's pretty expensive right now. Um, and the price targets are for it to go even higher. So if there's going to be a surprise, I mean, I would think it might be in that next generation AAR. As more people, um, excuse me, more companies actually search for solutions just to protect their networks and their data. We haven't heard a lot about cyber attacks in the, you know, the mainstream media. But when you talk to people in the industry, I've spoken to Amazon's chief security officer. I've spoken to security officers for other companies. They say those attacks have happened. They just haven't gone widespread or haven't spilled out into the point where it's just become more widely known. But certainly attacks are happening and the state sponsored attacks, ransomware attacks continue to happen. Yeah, people only talk about those when they have to, right? Next up, Zoom video. The pandemic, darling, has seen better days. Shares are down nearly 47% this year. Options are implying a whopping 16% move for the stock. Back to you, Frank, for the story here. Different from Palo Alto, for sure. Yeah, a lot different from Palo Alto. I think we all know Zoom is very deeply tied to return to office and just the future of workplace collaboration and, if we can dare say it, post-pandemic America. I want to show you guys a chart. This also tells a lot of the story. When you look at Zoom, when it comes to visits to Zoom.us, the way that most of us interact with this site here in the United States, you're really seeing that the site, the visits to the site have fallen sharply in 2022. You got to remember, even look back at January, remember, and it's hard to remember this because it seems like forever ago, we had an Omicron scare at the beginning of the year, and a lot of people did not return to the office as planned. So the question here is, can this company beat estimates on billings? Um, Can they show some sizable growth when it comes to enterprise customer or guidance that's above the double digit profit loss for the next quarter? or for the fiscal year, all that would be a big win for the stock. You're talking about that backlog and booking story. Also, there's some questions about its product called Zoom Phone, which is a enterprise phone collaboration that also incorporates a lot of things that we see and and know of from Zoom meetings. Can that continue to see a lot of growth? Right now, estimates are for it to be 9% of overall revenue for the year. So if there's a surprise to the upside when it comes to that, that could also be a big boost for Zoom. Boris, what does Zoom have to do here Uh, to sort of get past that big overhang during the pandemic? I mean, they tried to do an acquisition that would have bulked them up in that core enterprise segment and and got shot down. Yeah. You know, 
it's a shame about Zoom. I'm really a huge fan of the uh, of the product, but I think they've really run into sort of a brick wall here, especially because of Microsoft Teams. Microsoft Teams has been making a tremendous amount of inroads. It's very, very hard to fight the giant like that. And that, I think, is going to be the biggest problem, actually. The Zoom phone is an interesting app. It's kind of like a WhatsApp for corporate in a way that allows you to create lots of VOIP uh, communications all across the world. And, and it's sold 3 million seats. So it's definitely a very much a ray of sunshine for them. But um, I just don't think that's going to be enough. The stock is very close to its yearly lows, so it's certainly a much better buy here than it was um, a few months ago. But the real question forward is how much growth can they generate? And that's very much an open question. So to me, right now, it's a pause and a hold, primarily because I'm really afraid that Microsoft is going to just keep chipping away, chipping away, chipping away, and that's going to make it much more difficult for them to really maintain mind share and market share. Okay, trying to look for a silver lining here, Frank. Is there some point at which the comps get better for Zoom or, you know, a different metric, particularly along enterprise if people stop, you know, start ignoring the, uh, the consumer side of the business, which has been drooping since the pandemic, uh, that could hearten right. investors? Well, I mean, if the enterprise numbers improve, obviously that would be very heartening to investors. That enterprise spend is very sticky. Usually when companies move towards a Zoom, they stay with them. But I think Boris really hit on it. The competition from Teams and Microsoft is just growing. And you have to remember, Microsoft obviously has a big enterprise business itself. So if you have the choice as an enterprise to go with Zoom or Microsoft, um, I think this, the competition for Zoom there is very stiff. All right. Frank, thanks. And finally, Macy's, the retail giant, also having a tough 2022 with shares off 28% this year. Been a tough go for names in the retail space as inflation continues to impact consumer spending behavior. CNBC's Courtney Reagan joins us now with the story. Courtney, we were just talking about back to school. How's Macy's positioned with that and everything else? Yeah, John, back to school is such an interesting season because it is the second most important season for retail when it comes to sort of the volume of what gets sold. But if you're a player like Macy's, you're selling less of the stuff you need right away, like the crayons, the pencils, the calculators, and more of the clothing. And that tends to come a little bit later when you're talking about spending. So, yes, we should get some early indication about back to school, but I don't know that it's fair to expect the bulk of that spending to come from Macy's commentary. What I do think is very important is to understand if Macy's consumer is that same consumer that Coles saw in the middle, the middle-income consumer, where inflation is having a very big impact in how and where they spend and what they're choosing to buy. Macy's before had seen some pretty strong results when it came to sort of back-to-work and back-to-occasion wear. So dresses, uh, men's suits actually were pretty strong. They saw strong sales of luggage as everyone was going back to sort of spending on vacations and traveling. So I think this is going to be a very interesting quarter to hear from Macy's because we know the consumer that it really targets is one that is pretty squeezed right now from inflation. So is what Macy's doing enough to spur them to spend or is it just going to be too hard to overcome people not wanting to spend their extra discretionary income on apparel right now? Mm. We'll see. Beauty is also has been a strong category in the quarter and that is sort of part of Macy's center core. Important but likely not enough to offset the weakness in apparel. That's what we're expecting to hear. Okay, Boris, we were just talking to Oliver Chen earlier in the show, and he was saying to bet low or high in retail. Macy's is kind of in the middle, so what do you expect? I think the best thing you can say about Macy's is that the stock is cheap. You know, it's less than 5 PE, 3% yield. 
it is definitely going to be a struggle for them uh, in the near term. I don't think they're any more skillful or agile than Target, and you know their inventory build was still pretty high. So I think it's going to be difficult for them to, to produce um, very attractive numbers this quarter. I do think there is an interesting punt here going forward, not just back to school, but if you sort of believe that the consumer has stabilized and perhaps uh, maybe even willing to spend into the Christmas season and they guide forward on that, I think that could be a potential. And generally, you know, you think about Macy's, it's, it's kind of been able to really roll with the punches over the long run. The most attractive thing about it is, is that it is relatively cheap. So there's a chance here, if you want to take a, a punt for an 18-month trade, there could be a 50% 50 upside just simply, be, you know, as the consumer stabilizes and goes forward. But ultimately, that's really very much a geopolitical rather than economic bet. You're basically betting on the mm -hmm. fact that things are going to cool in a geopolitical stage. Economy remains at a relatively low, steady growth. That's going to be very positive for Macy's. If not, I think all bets are off. And we'll see how well they've done at managing inventories. That's going to be a big one. Continue for all these retailers. Courtney, Boris, thank you. And still ahead, the travel trade among the biggest losers today. A closer look at who's leading the declines in that sector is next. And a look at the NASDAQ right now as it hits session lows. Among the big losers, Netflix, Match, Booking, Align Technology, and the Dow now down more than 600 points. The exchange is back in two. Welcome back. Travel stocks are under pressure along with the rest of the market. The Away ETF down more than 2%, uh, more than 8% this week. Seema Modi has a look at the biggest decliners in the group in today's session. Seema. And John, you might just blame AMC for the move in cruise lines. According to Patrick Scholes at Truist Securities, he says the meme trade failure along with low liquidity and concerns ahead of Jackson Hole are pressuring the group. Royal Caribbean, uh, Carnival, Norwegian all down and are among the most shorted names in travel, down about 4% today after closing down by a similar amount on Friday currently on track for their worst three-day run in a month. And it comes as all three cruise lines have removed COVID testing protocols and other requirements which analysts say will widen the pool of its customer base, but also increasing concerns about travel budgets going into the fall. UBS today writing that U.S. consumers are increasingly feeling their standard of living has decreased and they are not saving enough to meet future needs. Take a look at the hotel stocks, Marriott, Hilton, Hyatt, all three beat street estimates this earnings season, down about one to two percent, as are the rate sensitive hotel REITs, the real estate investment trusts like Pebblebrook and Host Hotels, as we watch yields tick a bit higher. Uh, and we also see that the vacation rental names, Expedia, Airbnb and Booking John, also caught up in today's sell off. Back uh, to you. Did, are these names benefiting at the same time over the last few weeks from energy prices easing off? I mean, I, I know that that, at least on the margin side, might be good for some airlines. Yeah, absolutely. Among the groups within travel that benefit from lower gas prices, oil prices are, of course, the cruise lines. They uh, consume a lot of fuel to stay uh, to stay sailing across the seas. So certainly one group that benefits from lower oil prices, um, as do the hotels, those that have a have uh, hotels in locations that are drive-to destinations, for sure, uh, John. So yes. Absolutely. Yeah, I should have said oil. But yeah, gas for driving, for sure. Seema, thank you. Still ahead, AMC's Ape begins trading, FTX's huge revenue growth, and Amazon and HBO Max pouring billions into streaming. We are diving into today's biggest stories next.
Exchange. Let's get you caught up on a few headlines we've got our eyes on today in the media and tech world. It's the first day of AMC issuing preferred equity units to shareholders as meme stocks are back in the spotlight. For more, I'm joined by Beth Kindig, IO Fund lead tech analyst, along with our own Christina Partsinevelis. Christina, uh, what's the story here? When this first came out, I didn't, I didn't understand what these ape units really were. I know, it's a little confusing, but AMC's new preferred equity unit, also the acronym is known as APES, could provide much needed capital to the largest movie chain in the country, and that would be AMC. But today it's kind of off to a rocky start. So every AMC shareholder as end as of end of day last Friday were issued the new APE shares. They were supposed to be uh, appearing in their brokerage accounts today. Instead of a stock split where AMC would be split into two shares, instead shareholders should now hold one APE share for every AMC share they own. Both of which, though, are trading in the red today. AMC shares plunging down 38% for several reasons. The first one is the APE issuance dragging on AMC, as would be the case in a stock split. Then you've also got concerns about Cineworld possibly going bankrupt, even though retailers disagree, retail traders disagree with that uh, statement. And then overall meme stock sell-off that you're seeing across the board. This after Ryan Cohen sold his shares of Bed Bath & Beyond, questioning confidence in said companies. And lastly, the general sell-off in tech prompted by rate concerns. At this point, though, this is the important part, AMC shareholders are worse off based on the combined value of both AMC and Apes shares, and you can look at the prices that you're seeing on your screen. So that's $11 and about $6.40 added together. That's $17.40, which is lower than Friday's close of $18.02. Lastly, AMC CEO Adam Aaron is pretty adamant that shares will not be diluted, but the company still holds the right to issue over 480 million new Ape shares when they see fit. All right, Christina. Thank you. Um, Beth, does this mean that it didn't work? Uh, And when you combine what's happening with AMC today with what we saw happen with Ryan Cohen and Bed Bath & Beyond, what does this mean for retail investors in the meme trade? I would say it means that it sounds very complicated. Uh, We don't think now is the time to take big risks or look at complicated stocks. The market dynamics have changed Probably most importantly, uh, such high quality has been on sale. We have 30%, 50% discounts in heavyweights with beautiful bottom lines. This is your fangs. You have AI semiconductor stocks that are 40, 50% off their highs. So for us, we really encourage investors to look at quality. It's very, very rare to get quality on sale. So forget the meme stocks. The market dynamics have changed drastically since this time last year. And we just ultimately feel they're very unpredictable. And yet... The meme trade is back and the uh, crypto trade had bounced back somewhat, though it's struggled over the last few days. Um, uh, It seems like at least some retail investors can't stay away. Yeah, and you know, uh, many of these stocks are 100% off their lows, so that can feel very attractive for a short period of time. But again, quality is on sale, and that's what's going to make investors wealthy over time. I think these short quick gains is what can get people in a lot of trouble. Um, And I would actually separate crypto from meme stocks. To me, crypto is quality. Okay. Next up, billions of dollars being thrown at streaming as HBO debuts the Game of Thrones franchise extension and Amazon bets on their version of Lord of the Rings. But is the money going to bring in eyeballs? Julia Borston has more on the continuing streaming wars. Julia? 
Well, John, we don't know about the eyeballs yet because we are awaiting ratings on House of the Dragon, which debuted last night on HBO and HBO Max. This is part of a high stakes attempt to extend HBO, the streamer's most valuable franchise, Game of Thrones, with a prequel. And it comes after the final season of Game of Thrones fell flat with fans that have reported 15 to 20 million dollars an episode. This series comes at a time when HBO Max and the other streamers are fighting to draw and retain consumers, consumers who are expected to be cutting costs and perhaps cutting back on the number of services they pay for. Now, Warner Brothers Discovery shares are down about 43 percent year to date. And CEO David Zaslav has said he's looking for billions in additional cost savings. This new show is going up against Amazon's biggest content bet yet in just a week and a half. Amazon Prime is launching The Rings of Power. This is set before The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. The five seasons that are in the works are expected to cost over $1 billion, making it the most expensive TV series ever made by far. And it's part of Amazon's strategy, along with the rights to NFL Thursday night games, to use big brands to draw and retain those Amazon Prime subscribers. So unlike Netflix, whose shares are down today on a downgrade, both HBO Max and Amazon are releasing their new episodes one at a time, once a week, as Netflix's rivals move away from that binge model, which isn't working as well as it used to, John. One a week. That's kind of like old TV. Old uh, school. Yeah, old school. Uh, Julia, thanks. Beth, you were just talking about quality in stocks. And does that apply to media and streamers, too? And what does quality mean anymore if it does? Sure. I think media has really been beat up in the market, and I would keep a keen eye for that quality. Um, Amazon obviously has a different motivation than some of the other media companies. Theirs is to cross-sell, keep you as a prime customer. Um, HBO and Netflix, probably more apples to apples. Uh, on that note, uh, with Netflix being down so much, we do not own Netflix at this time, but we're, sh we're certainly watching it. Uh, this is a company that is always in the top 10 for quality uh, highest watched shows. And with its recent move into ad video on demand, if you can take a global juggernaut, mix it with 60% off its highs and add a massive catalyst, uh, as a tech investor, I tend to pay attention. So I would say that uh, Netflix, when you talk about quality, could become an interesting stock, especially for early 2023. Okay. Finally, a rare look into the finances of the private crypto company FTX, which saw revenue grow 1,000% last year. Kate Rooney has the latest in her scoop. Hey, John, that's right. I got a copy of FTX's audited financials from last year. The privately held crypto exchange brought in just over a billion dollars in revenue for 2021. That was up more than 1,000% in a year. And as of the first quarter, it was on pace for a similar run rate for 2022, about $1.1 billion. It was also profitable. Operating income was $272 million with 27% margins. Like other exchanges, it is all about those trading fees and derivatives were by far the biggest revenue driver with most of that action happening abroad. Less than 5% of revenue came from its US subsidiary. FTX has really made a big push for that US retail audience through marketing and according to its documents, it spent about 15% of revenue on marketing and ads. It also plans to spend almost a billion dollars on that in the next few years. The documents also give us a sense of Sam Bankman-Fried's growing global reach. FTX owns companies in Cyprus, Turkey. It also acquired 
Startups in Switzerland and Australia, which may have been to get certain regulatory licenses. Unclear, though, how the company is holding up in the recent downturn. Shares of Coinbase, which is the only real public comparison, are down 70% year-to-date. John, back to you. Kate Rooney, thank you. Uh, Beth, do you, do you bet on companies that are involved with crypto? Or do you, if you're interested in crypto exposure, just stay with crypto itself? We like crypto itself. Uh, you know, we are believers in Bitcoin. Actually, Bitcoin adoption, uh, wallet adoption has gone up exponentially similar to FTX. It's grown quite a bit. I'm not quite 1000%, but if you look at it's very hockey stick growth is the best way to put it. Um, Ethereum right now is about to go through its merge to proof of stake. That should happen sometime next month. That's a probably the biggest catalyst in Ethereum's history. Uh, so we like both of those quite a bit. Uh, and then, of course, in addition to FTX, Grayscale uh, had grown their assets under management from about $300 million to $43 billion. It's obviously tapered off quite a bit, but that would be another success story in crypto to point toward. All right. Well, buyer beware, of course. Many of the cryptos, yeah. <laughs> Bitcoin included, are down uh, more than 60% from their highs. Beth, thank you. Still ahead, shares of Signify soaring today and reports that Amazon is bidding for the company. And it's not the only one. We've got the latest in big tech's battle to dominate healthcare. That's next. The race to disrupt healthcare heating up with Amazon reportedly now among the bidders for Signify which provides primary care and home health services. Shares of Signify sharply higher as a result, to say the least, of more than 32%. Bertha Coombs here with details. Bertha. Yeah, it's quite amazing. You know, John, one analyst compared this to a war, the war for Signify compared to a thoroughbred race. And the prize is a company that sits in the center of the move towards value-based care, contracting with doctors to keep patients healthy rather than charge for every little service when people are sick. It's a big thing for employers right now and a big thing in Medicare. After not getting any traction with its virtual care service, Amazon now appears to be in the hunt for its second big primary care deal after last month's $3.9 billion acquisition of One Medical. Now, Signify has 10,000 doctors in its stable, but perhaps even more transformative potentially for Amazon, Signify is in the business of value-based care data analytics, which could boost Amazon's business with hospitals. This month, CVS's Karen Lynch said that they are still looking to do a deal before the end of the year to build out CVS's primary care initiative in store and its home health business to track patients when they're discharged from hospitals. But this could be the second deal that gets away from them and goes to Amazon. And then there's United Health which has reportedly offered about $30 a share. It already has 50,000 doctors in its Optum unit and already has one deal that has gone to court on antitrust issues. They're awaiting a ruling from the judge. One source says UNH might be in this, John, just to sort of show, hey, we're the big gorilla here. Don't forget. <laughs> We're the ones who really are in this space. Health is such a big space. It doesn't seem to me like tech is anywhere near dominating it. I mean, we had uh, Oracle buy-in with Cerner, which mm -hmm. is very different from what Amazon is doing, which right. is very different from what Apple is doing, say, with the Apple Watch. Which one, which area is making the most progress? In terms of the tech giants, I 
I mean, Amazon is really the one to watch right now. Amazon was very slow to get in here. Obviously, they've made a lot of big acquisitions. They had acquired PillPack a while, never seemed to go anywhere. They did Amazon Care, their virtual primary care service. Again, didn't get much traction. Then last December, they named Neil Lindsay to be the executive VP of health services. Hmm. And here we are six months later. They had a deal for One Medical, and now potentially this deal for Signify. It shows that this time they're much more focused and really mean business here. Well, between the regulatory challenges and the technical challenges, we'll see if anybody's able to vertically integrate and figure this out. Bertha, thanks. And that'll do it for The Exchange. Power Lunch starts right now. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. FedEx.